Now, my topic this morning has chosen me rather than my choosing it. The impact of three known suicides, I say known because there are some discussion that there might be others as well that were not known, but the impact of three known suicides in our community within the space of a week is impact upon Bahamians, including Christians, has been profound. We are receiving telephone calls and emails from Christians concerned about this. And they're asking such questions as, can a Christian commit suicide? If a Christian does commit suicide, does he or she lose the salvation? Is suicide the unpardonable sin, or at least a unpardonable sin? Now, I answered some of these questions on talking it through biblically on ECB on Thursday, and I might do so as we go through the message or at another time. But in order for us, in order for me to have sufficient time to, re to deal with the subject I want to in relationship to suicides, I want to begin to address the matter of why. Why some he decide that taking one's life is the best way out of dealing with certain dire circumstances. And I want to deal with what we as believers can do to prevent it from happening among members of the incredible body of Christ here at Calvary Bible Church. Don't think it cannot happen. In fact, I understand that at least two of the people who committed suicide were professing Christians involved in ministry. There seems to be a pervasive sense of hopelessness, despair, and overall gloom that has come upon our community as a dark and depressive cloud, due for the most part, but not entirely so, of course, to the downturn in our once thriving economy here in the Bahamas. Thousands have lost their jobs, and there's some right here sitting right now in this congregation. Some have lost their homes, some have lost their cars, have lost other cherished possessions. Children are affected affected adversely. School fees cannot be paid. Promised vacations have to be cancelled. Tensions are flaring between husband and wife because they cannot meet the financial obligations that seem to overwhelm them at this time. The overall quality of life here for many is threatened. Regrettably for some there just seems to be no way out other than taking one's life. Suicide is in the air. And it's not only here. It's throughout the world. Why? Well, all professionals in the field agree that, and I quote, suicide may occur for a number of reasons, including depression, shame, guilt, desperation, physical pain, emotional pressure, anxiety, financial difficulties, or other undesirable situations." End of quote. Another quote. Suicide is sometimes interpreted in this framework as a cry for help, a cry for help and attention, 
or to express despair and the wish to escape rather than a genuine intent to die. Most people who attempt suicide do not complete suicide on the first attempt. Those who later gain a history of repetitions have a significantly higher probability of eventual completion of suicide. End of quote. Now, see, my concern, and I believe that of our pastoral and deacon boards as a whole, is how we can provide the assurance, the atmosphere, the environment, a culture within our fellowship that would help to prevent members of the incredible body of Christ from becoming victims to this deadly mindset and instead to become the means of assisting those who do adopt this mindset. Dr. David Allen, perhaps unknowingly, provided me with a basic concept that would provide the groundwork for a strategy, I believe, that would help to bring this environment, this culture about in Calvary Bible Church to give us the assurance that none of our members would even think of going down this road. That's my concern. That's my burden. As I was perusing the daily papers to get a perspective on what was happening here in the Bahamas in this area, I came across an article in which Dr. Allen was being interviewed relative to the causes that would drive a person to commit suicide. One of his statements puzzled me. Here is what he said, quote, Suicide is not necessarily a choice. It happens because the pain they experience internally exceeds their internal view of the resources around them. That's from the Tribune on February 3rd. Now, the statement at the beginning, suicide is not necessarily a choice is what puzzled me. Because you see, in all of my studies and training I had on the subject, and I've had some, suicide was always considered to be a choice, a choice by the individual. In fact, choice was at the heart of the definition. Because you see, suicide is the murder of self. And murder is an intentional, premeditated act. A choice. Choice, in my thinking then, was therefore an inherent part of committing suicide. There can be no suicide, I thought, without the element of choice. And so wanting to be sure that I did not pass on erroneous information to you as I spoke to you about this issue, I called Dr. Allen, my longtime friend, in fact, I don't know whether I taught him or he taught me in Sunday school, but we go way back then. And we had a really enlightening, for me, discussion. He explained that a choice was indeed involved. However, that choice was not made at the time the actual event of the suicide took place. That actually was the end of a process 
that had started sometime earlier. Now please listen carefully. He said the choice occurred when the person decided not to avail him or herself to the available resources that could help to, to help to solve their presenting problem for whatever reason. In other words, it could be because of shame or embarrassment to share the need or feeling of being rejected or that lack of compassion or understanding would not be shown toward them if they approached someone who they knew could help them. So they made a choice not to do so. That's when the process of suicide began. Choosing not to make yourself take advantage of resources that were there because you were either ashamed or embarrassed to ask for help. Or you might be rejected or there'd be no compassion showed. And so a choice was made to cut off those known resources. This is what he said. It, the actual event of suicide, happens because the pain they experience internally exceeds their eternal view of the resources around them. And notice, this is how I paraphrase what he said. The event occurs, suicide, when the pain exceeds the perceived resources that can ease or alleviate their pain. That's the point that impacted me. And I mean it grabbed my soul when I understood what you're saying. That burden pressed itself upon me. That's why I'm talking about it today. It occurred to me that as a body of believers, we must never, never create such a culture or environment here at Calvary Bible Church that would ever ever make it possible for any one of our members to feel ashamed or embarrassed to make a legitimate need known to either a member of the body or the leadership that represents the body to the point that they would begin a process that would lead them to take their own life when help and resources are readily available. And that's a mouthful. So I'm going to feed it to you again. As a body of believers, we must never, never create such a culture or environment here at Calvary Bible Church that would ever, ever make it possible for any one of our members to feel ashamed or embarrassed to make a legitimate need known to either a member of this body or the leadership that represents the body to the point that, that they would begin a process. They would begin a process that would lead them to take their own life when help and resources are readily available. Do you grasp that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now on the flip side of this, we should have such a loving, caring, and sensitive attitude toward one another that we would be able to readily detect pressing concerns 
on the part of the members of the body. We should have such a relationship that the moment any kinds of feelings like that of depression or real desperation comes upon a person, we should be able to see that. Beloved, listen, if this were in fact the case, we would make Calvary Bible Church zero tolerant when it comes to suicide. And that is our prayerful, passionate, and determined goal. To see to it that Calvary Bible Church members are zero tolerant toward suicide. Listen, and listen carefully, friends. Suicide is never the right choice to make. Never. But let's remember when it begins. It begins when we turn away from help that is available because we're embarrassed or ashamed to ask. Suicide is never the right choice to make. God always has a better way for us. Always. No matter how dire or desperate the situation may be, we just have to be aware of it and be willing to take it. God is always more than sufficient to meet any and every one of our needs. Please, don't give up on this life until you, that don't sound right, until. You should never give up your own life. Make sure you've made use of the resources God has made available to you to meet the demands of this life. Listen to what he says. In 2 Peter, quote, God's divine power has granted to us everything, not some things or a little, but everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Notice, everything pertaining to life. That's life here on this earth right now. God does not and cannot lie. He has provided all that we need to live in this life here and now. Please, please believe that. This is the bottom line truth that we must lay a hold of believers. God is our provider. He has all the resources we need to meet any need. And he's always there for us. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. According to, not out of, but according to. There's no need too great for our all-sufficient God to meet. El Shaddai, the all, the more than sufficient God. He has all the resources that we need. God is sufficient, my friend. He has all the resources necessary to meet all of our needs. Now listen to this other fantastic, amazing, wonderful truth. God's grace is sufficient for us to utilize or make use of his always available resources. 
regardless of the circumstances. He is there to provide. And when things get tough and difficult, he gives us grace that enables us to take hold of these resources even though we have difficult times. It's his grace. Hear these blessed words of God again through the Apostle Paul as he struggled with a severe thorn in the flesh that seemed insurmountable. Oh, how he wanted to get rid of those of that thorn. By the way, let me interject. It's not a part of our message today, but I want to say this. God does have a purpose for suffering. He has a reason, a purpose for us to go through difficult times. Paul is going to explain that here. He prayed, he prayed. It seemed as though God wasn't answering his prayer. And you know something? He was right. He prayed. Notice what he says. But he, God said to me, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Get this concept. When God allows certain things to come into our lives that seem to be insurmountable and so difficult, God says, I want to give you my strength. I want to share my power with you. But the only way you can do it is to get in this position. So then Paul says, I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, financial, material, health. When you know that God has the resources and you're resting in him, you're content no matter what the difficulty is. With persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever, whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Do you understand what he's saying, beloved? God is saying that some of the most wonderful times we have of experiencing his power and grace is when we are suffering pain. And so rather than leading us away from God, it should drive us to him. These passages tell us then that God's grace is all sufficient for us to deal with any problem. This means then that no matter what happens to one of his children, he can and will take care of us if we trust him and believe his word. He can and will see us through times of trial and difficulties. He will see you through times of economic difficulties. He can provide you comfort when it is needed. He can take care of your financial needs. He can and will take care of your every need. He's been doing so for thousands of years. He's taken care of his children's needs again and again and in the most desperate situations. Millions could testify to the great things that God has done for them in the midst of difficulties in desperate times. God is sufficient to, to meet our material needs, to give us groceries, to give us clothes. You remember the children of Israel in Exodus 16 and 17, the story is told. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but you know something? 
They didn't have to worry about clothes or shoes or food. God provided it, didn't he? He took care of their needs. He can take care of our needs today as well. Do you remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19? Elijah was fed by an angel after the battle with the false prophet. He sent an angel. He was hungry. He needed grocery. And God sent an angel with the bag. One time he sent some birds. The ravens, remember? God is concerned about you. He can meet our needs. You remember the widow and her son in 1 Kings 17? The widow woman came, gave God's servant what she thought was the last of her food. And she said, now I'm going to lay down with my son and we're going to die. Talk about desperation. But God stepped in. In that desperate moment in this woman's life. And he supplied from his resources all that she needed. So much and so she could help others. God supplied that woman's and her son's need from his inexhaustible resources. And there seemed to be no way out except death. God says, no way. I can meet your needs. He has the resources to meet your needs. Remember Elisha? The widow on the oil. She thought too that that was all she couldn't give. But you know what God did with that oil? It just flowed and flowed and flowed. God's inexhaustible resources met that woman's desperate need. She was willing to serve him right to the end. And God stepped in. When there seemed to be no way out but death. God, I say, has the resources to meet your needs. You remember Jesus? Jesus feeds those who follows him. You remember in Matthew 14, the crowd followed him for a whole day. And they were hungry and had nothing to eat. You remember that? Nothing to eat. Jesus worked a miracle. Out of his inexhaustible resources, he fed the hungry multitude. He gave them the groceries they needed. He did it then. He does it today. He's done it for others. He can do it for you. But you've got to trust him. Remember the story of George Mueller. He founded an orphan's home. And he told many stories where he and his children would gather around the table and give thanks for the food that wasn't there. But when they opened their eyes, the food was there. The knock would come and the food would be supplied. That's God. That's God. He did it then. Don't you think he can do it now? Here's, what God's, here's God's promise for us today. Matthew 6. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than me and the body than raiment God's resources are more than sufficient 
to meet our every need. But there's another person that God has supplied needs for. That's me. Let me tell you a story. I've told it to you before. But I'm trying to show you that God meets the needs of his people. He's been doing it for years. That's what he's there for. The all-sufficient God. I believe God called me to Moody Bible Institute. I left here on BOAC. You all don't remember what that is. With a little small cardboard suitcase. No bigger than some businessman's briefcase. Everything I had was in there. I had just a couple of dollars. Enough to buy a ticket, bus ticket, to take me from Miami to Chicago. First time I ever been in the United States of America. First time I ever been on a plane. So here's this little island boy walking down with the big street there in the, the, the main Flagler. Yeah. These big buildings, I was walking around like this. With my suitcase, everything I owned in my hand. Mr. Roberts met me. Alan Lee, what you doing here? I go into Moody. Moody? It's cold up there. They got snow up there. What? You got any coat? No, I ain't got no coat. Come here, boy. Takes me into this fancy store. Buys me a cashmere coat. All the way down. Couldn't, so big, I couldn't fit it into my suitcase. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That was God sent. I still have that coat. In fact, I used that coat all through Moody, through Trinity, through Dallas Theological Seminary. I used that coat that God supplied through Miss Bo when I had nothing. I got up to Moody. No money. I got a job before I started school. Something unheard of at Moody Bible Institute. I had no money. God supplied a job for me before I actually started school. And you know something? The school is the one who gave me the job. I had that warm coat. But I remember one night standing on the corner of LaSalle Street, freezing. I had on church's thin sole leather shoes. Now, you all got to know about this. I mean, those shoes were thin. And I had on silk socks. Because that was the big thing in those days. Silk socks and light shoes. And here I was, although I had this wonderful coat wrapped around me, my feet were like icicles, and I was shaking like this. And I said, Lord, I need some socks, but I don't have any money. Sunday night. Monday morning, I went to my post office box. There was a little box wrapped in brown paper. I saw the writing right away, and I knew it was Judy Drudge. I opened it. Do you know what was inside? Do you know what kind of socks? Argyle. I would never wear them in Nassau, mine, because <laughs> they're colorful, you know what I mean? They got all kinds of color. But boy, they were warm. Now notice now, God sent them from Nassau at least two weeks before I prayed. Hallelujah. Can God meet needs? Amen. You bet your life he can. God has supplied from his warehouse those socks before I even asked for them. 
He did it for me and he's done it throughout the years. He can do it for you. Beloved, here's the point. God is sufficient to meet all of our needs, whatever they may be. Let's trust him to do so regardless of the situation. That's when we draw upon his grace to take a hold of his resources. Do not cut yourself off from his available resources. Don't allow your pride to prevent you from making your need known. First to him. But then the members of the incredible body of Christ. Listen. God has so arranged the body that members are designed to be an extension of him. God has arranged the body, I say, in such a way that members are designed to automatically reach out to help those in need. And so here is our third and most vital point for today. It demands action on our part. God uses members of the incredible body of Christ as distributors of his inexhaustible resources. Do you get that? God does have a great warehouse filled with all the resources. But do you know he uses to give them out? You and me. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the Corinthians about giving to help the believers in Jerusalem who were experiencing a time of famine. And during this time, there was still a little rift going on between Jews and Gentiles. There's still a little rift going on. But now the Jews, are, they have a need. They need food. They need grocery. So you know who Paul goes to? He doesn't go to Jews. He goes to the Gentiles. Because he wants to demonstrate that the body of Christ is one. He goes to the Gentiles. And this is what he says. They had made a commitment to give a year earlier. He says, if the readiness is present, if the readiness to give, if you have a heart to give, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. In other words, you give what you can. But we all have something to give, small or large. Notice now. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction. In other words, he says, I'm not asking you to give so you can hurt and so others may not hurt. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking for. But by way of equality within the body. Listen now. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for the need. Has God given you an abundance? You know why he's done that? So you could help somebody else who does not have the abundance. That's why he's giving you out of your, out of his warehouse, so that you can have it to give those who have a need. Notice what he says. So that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathers much did not have too much, and he who gathers little had no lack. Equality in the body is a balance that God places there. If we would just follow. What is he saying? He's saying believers who are being blessed with financial resources should be willing to share with those in need now. Why? Because when the circumstances could be reversed, and they could be, 
their need will also be met by those whose needs they are now meeting. I've seen that happen here. This is men doing well in business, given liberally to support the ministry, then boom, they've lost it for one reason or another. The position is gone, or the job is gone, or the business is gone, boom! And you know what happens? The church should step in. And it has, in some instances, not enough, but it has, to help those who are in need. That's what he's talking about. That's what should be done. Listen to what he says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the certainty of riches, but on God. Now that's all of us. That's the whole point of this. Our hope should always be fixed on God. Whether we're rich, poor, whether we get little or more, our hope should be in God. That's what he's saying. But on God, notice now, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good. To be rich in good works. Not only rich in material things, but in good works. He's going to tell us what this good work is. Here it is. To be generous and ready to share. If God has given you an abundance, this is the reason why. For you to be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What he's saying is here, you really want to experience life to the fullness? If you have surplus, start sharing it with those who do not and have a need. You will really then experience what life is all about. Wonderful truth here. Any extra resources that we have has been given to us by God to help others in time of need. That's the teaching of this passage. And so here's our challenge. As members of the incredible body of Christ here at Calvary today, in our attempt to make our assembly zero tolerant when it comes to suicide, or even depression free when it comes to material needs. I'm going to quote you a long, complex statement. Because that's me. Listen carefully. We must enter into the joyous and exciting experience of being God's conduits of blessing to those who are feeling emotional, spiritual, or psychological pain due to financial or economic reasons by creating a culture within our assembly that encourages rather than discourages those who are hurting to reach out to us for assistance. Didn't I say it was a mouthful? Let me give it to you again. We must enter into the joyous and exciting experience of being God's conduits of blessings to those who are feeling emotional, spiritual, or psychological pain due to financial or economic reasons by creating a culture, an atmosphere within our assembly that encourages rather than discourages those who are hurting to reach out to us for loving assistance. To put it simply, 
We must demonstrate our love and concern for one another in such a way that no matter the problem, the situation, each and every member here will spontaneously, automatically, and joyfully reach out to one another as an extension of their first reaching out to God. You turn to God, you turn to us. Because in one sense is one and the same thing. Because God says, I'm going to minister to you through my body. We must be ready and joyfully both seen. We must be readily and joyfully both seen and embraced as a safe haven for hurting people in our assembly. A safe haven. People must feel that in the bones. It's safe to be here regardless of my pain. We must regard what God has blessed us with as belonging not only to us for personal and selfish use, but to all members of the incredible body of Christ who have a genuine need. Now I say genuine, because there's some people who still want to scalp us, you know. I fool, I fool. Alright, I fool. I'm talking about genuine need. In the words of the King James Version of the Bible, we must not close up our bowels of mercy by withholding material and financial help and resources from those in need if we are able to meet that need. Now, in order for us to put these into concrete action, we have two suggestions. Number one, first the provision of counseling assistance. All of our pastoral staff are here at your disposal. If you're facing any kinds of problems or difficulties, just want to talk, just want advice, we are here. All of our pastoral staff. We've spoken to them about this already. They're willing and they're helping. Of course, we cannot meet all of your needs, but those that we can't, we will try to direct you to people or, or institutions or whatever it is that you can get it kind of help you need. If you need counseling help, Christian Counseling Center is there. Call Christian Counseling Center. Speak to Pastor Arnett. Don't worry about the finances. He'll pay all the charges. <laughs> no, I'm serious here. If you're hurting and you're painting, Pastor Arnett and all those there are ready to help you. Don't let anything about fees stop you. Understand what I'm saying? We want you to know that we're there for you to discuss to talk in this connection if you are if you if you have any kind of ability in financial planning and and so on and you can help in this area please let us know because that's an area of need as well and be willing to share that with the people of the body of Christ but we want to go further than that as well I met with the incoming chairman and co-chairman of the deacons and we discussed, as we were talking about other things, we discussed coming up with some kind of a strategy that will provide financial assistance to those who have real critical situations that we could draw upon. And we talked about it. We're still looking for a way to have this done on an ongoing basis. But they thought, we thought that it's important for us to do something immediately. And so we decided that we would begin a fund. But you know what we're going to, well, we do have a word for it. I do have a name for it temporarily. But we decided that we would immediately begin a volunteer program to 
encourage members to give to a fund from which the deacons would be able to draw to assist those with critical financial needs. It will be in the hands of the deacons. They will do the evaluation, they will do the examination. If you say you need help, we're going to look into it. But we want to set up a fund to help in this assistance. And we are going to give you now an opportunity to share in the joy of giving to meet the needs of needy saints in connection with the present downturn in our economy. The deacons have already started and we have $1,000 already in the fund. We want to provide our people with a concrete and visible means of demonstrating our love and concern for each member of the body in order to give the assurance that we do care and that they are loved and that they can reach out to us unashamedly and without embarrassment. We want every member of this body to see our love for them in order to provide a sense of belonging and full and complete acceptance. That's what we want. But we want it to be seen. We want it to be felt, not just be spoken about. We do not want any member in any way to feel that they cannot turn to us for help. We don't want any of our members to come to a point of desperation because there's no one there for me. And so we're going to ask you to give today. We can do something we don't normally do because this is extraordinary times. Now I realize that some of you will not follow along with me all the way here. Because I realize that some of you have the conviction that you don't give to be seen of men. I value and appreciate that conviction also. It is a good one. It is a biblical one. So please don't feel pressured or even left out of this exercise that I will be encouraging in a moment. However, the scriptures also show that giving to special causes were done by some, especially leaders, to encourage others to give. David did it. Read the story when they were building. He himself said, in order to encourage his leaders, he was going to give so much. Solomon did the same thing. Paul does it in Corinthians when he takes the, the example of the Macedonian saints to encourage others to give, especially on the part of leaders. You see, when people see leaders leading the way, they are encouraged and they feel assured. They have a sense of assurance that they are cared for. So the principle of modeling to encourage giving is biblical as well. However, each of you have to be fully convinced in your own mind as to what you should or should not do. Now I also realize that many of you are not prepared to give at this time. Again, don't let that be a concern. This will go on for some time. You can give at any time. But what I'm going to ask to do is that if you agree with this concept of demonstrating to our people that we are there for them, to pray for them, to support them, to give advice, to give when we are able to do, I'm going to ask you in a few moments just to stand to indicate that. Why? Because I want our people to feel and to see that we care for you and that you are behind it. That's all. It's just a feeling of acceptance. I want to develop here a culture of acceptance. 
Then I'm going to ask, our men are coming, we're going to have either a receptacle here, I'm not quite sure what they've come up with, or the ushers will be here with the bags. I'm going to then ask our leaders, our elders, our pastors, and our deacons to come to give to the fund. Then after they finish, you will have the opportunity to come forward and do it. You say, why come forward? I've just explained it. I want the people to see that you are concerned, that you love them, that there's a place of acceptance for them. I want us to develop this atmosphere, this culture of love, support, and concern. I believe this is one way we can do it. If you don't feel that you should do, fine. The Lord bless you. That's all right. But we believe it's important at this time to demonstrate this point. We're going to earmark. If you're going to write a check, I want you to earmark it. Write it out to Calvary Bible Church. And earmark it God's resources. Because whenever we help an individual, we're going to tell them that this is coming out of God's resources for them. All right. If the man who have the, the whatever you have, if you come here this time, I'd appreciate it. Let's do this then for the glory of God. If you don't feel it's for the glory of God, please don't take part. And I will have no hard feelings. I'm sure nobody else will. But we're trying to create a culture of acceptance and feeling and to give our people the assurance that we care and we love them. I'm going to ask you then, first of all, if you support this idea of a special fund that will be administered by the deacons and you want to show all of our members that you do care for them and that you are ready to pray for and support them any way you can if they would just reach out to you I'm gonna ask you to stand at this time just stand please now everyone and look around here look around these are members of the body of Christ we're making a public statement to say we love, we care for you, and we're here for you to pray, to support in any way you can. Now I'm going to ask the pastor, please remain standing. I'm going to ask the pastors and the deacons who are prepared to give to the fund at this time, please to come forward and present your offering at this time. I will be the first. Well, the second. That's our leaders, our elders, and our deacons. Now, we're going to ask you, please, uh, let's start with this. So we can do a little orderly here. On this side, uh, just come down this way and then go right back up that same side. And those in the middle, you can come right here. Would you come on this side right here? Just come right here. Please come on down. And then those of you can go here and go back on that side. 